welcome to the Artist's Creed. I'm Steve Guthrie, Professor of Theology and the Arts at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. The Artist's Creed is a conversation about Christianity, creativity, and the arts. And the venue we've chosen for that conversation is the Apostles' Creed, an expression of the Christian faith with roots in the worship and proclamation of the early church. The Apostles' Creed doesn't appear to say much about the Holy Spirit. After the line, I believe in the Holy Spirit, it charges right on to, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and so on. But really, there's more of the Holy Spirit here than we might recognize at first. The Holy Spirit is God living in and among us, making the life of God alive in us individually and in the church collectively. So it's precisely because the Spirit of God is alive in us that we can go on to say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. And it's because we share the Spirit of God that there can be forgiveness of sins, not only God's forgiveness of us, but our forgiveness of one another. In this episode of The Artist's Creed, I'm talking with Dr. David Dark, Assistant Professor of Religion at Belmont University. David has written a number of books that have attracted a wide audience, but in this podcast, we're talking about an article he wrote for America Magazine last year on the band U2. One of the phrases that David repeats in the article, and that he thinks U2 embodies, is the phrase, there is no them. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit explicitly in our conversation, but in fact, the work of the Holy Spirit is maybe the most profound instance of there is no them. By the Holy Spirit, the greatest possible distance, the ontological distance between creator and creature, between God and humanity, is bridged as God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in us. By the Holy Spirit, the life of God comes to dwell in us, and by the Holy Spirit, We are joined to Christ and caught up into the life of God. If there's a more profound instance of there is no them, I can't imagine it. But we also see this ethic worked out in the Spirit's activity in the church. Paul says, we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. So it's by the Spirit that those who were other than us are made one body with us. But then Paul goes on to say that the Spirit also gives various gifts within this one body. To one is given the gift of preaching, to the other a gift of tongues, to another a gift of healing, and so on. This is important too. One point that comes up in my discussion with David is that there is no them doesn't mean we're all exactly the same. So the Spirit is the one who both preserves and secures our distinctiveness from one another, giving different gifts to each. And at the same time, the Spirit is the one who joins us as one, so that there is no them. Why don't we start talking about you too, a little bit. And um, 
I'm asking this question in part because I want to tell you my own story about you two. (laughs) But I'm interested to hear a little bit about your history with you two. And I should say, we're we're talking about this article that you wrote for America Magazine, Why Does You Two Irk So Many People? Um, A look at their struggle for pop hits and social justice. Although I guess the print version, it was the unbearable lightness of being you two. Yeah, I like that title. Yeah. So we're talking about this article, mm-hmm. and you allude, allude to the fact in there that kind of uh, you talk about being into Duran Duran as oh, a teenager, and then, uh, but kind of you two caught your attention from the the cover of Rolling Stone magazine yes. and the checkout line. You yes. Know, and, uh, but well, tell me a little bit about your, the history of your love for you two. We'll do, like many Americans of my age, MTV was a kind of curriculum. and a kind of catechesis, we could say. And I was turned on to all kinds of interesting artists that would not have made it to a suburb in Nashville, um, apart from MTV. And um, very into Duran Duran as a 13-year-old. And along while waiting for Duran Duran videos, um, Hmm. one sees um, some guys in the snow, yeah. Singing New Year's Day. And it's like, what is this? They, they're they good looking guys, but they are not um, polished or uh, they're not glamour quite the way. There was something very rugged. Yeah. Um, very Boy Scout ish, even. Hmm. And um, so it was a different feeling. I would not have known about The Clash or The Ramones or any number of people that they themselves were drawing from. Yeah. But that New Year's Day video, oh my goodness, and two hearts beat as one. Yeah. There's language in there that I'm thinking, this is biblical. Yeah. This really, if I'm a, say I'm a fool, say I'm nothing, but if I'm a fool for you, that's something. Yeah. And I thought that has to be a reference to being a fool for Christ. Yeah. And there... Uh, every song has some little bit like that. Yeah. And um, so from there, I probably picked up the War cassette, um, the Under a Blood Red Sky cassette. Yeah. And I was just in because there was, they were pop and they were um, generally valued by people who liked rock and roll. Yeah. But there was a moral seriousness to them um, from the get go that I often felt a little isolated for feeling among my peers. Yeah. Whether we're talking the Bible or uh, how to think about other people. Um, and they gave me that. Was the sense that they were Christian part of the appeal for you? Absolutely. Or they were Christian, but they had a kind of moral seriousness that maybe you didn't discern well, in, I needed, yeah. in some of your Christian peers? Is that... Probably. So we're in Nashville, and I grew up in Nashville. And around this same time, um, I was being urged by some to think of a thing called Christian music, which was sold as Christian music. And it was Amy Grant. It was Michael W. Smith. It was eventually Billy Sprague. It was Petra. And um, those were all interesting to me. But the idea that they were somehow more distinctly Christian than you too, um, I could never believe that. And I think it gave me um, 
Um, I did not have the language for it, but an awareness of how marketing works as well. Yeah. And so then the you mentioned the Rolling Stone. It probably, I have noted of uh, Bono that my love of Flannery O'Connor and um, yeah. my attentiveness to geopolitics right. had everything to do with following up on what they were saying in interviews, what they were drawing from. This is crushingly embarrassing. Yeah. But Martin Luther King Jr. was not someone that I gave any thought to yeah. until Pride in the Name of Love extolled um, his witness and yeah. placed it on a trajectory with uh, what I've come to think of as the beloved community yeah. of God, which is certainly um, Christian, yeah. but it's not exclusively Christian. It can include prisoners of conscience. It can include Amnesty International, atheist, Buddhist, Jewish people, Muslims, all of that. And I think yeah. that you too um, were probably my early exposure um, to conceiving the world that way. I'll quickly note too, because it's related to this question of marketing. I can't recall if it was Time or Newsweek, but one of those magazines around the time of the Joshua Tree album asked um, Edge if they were Christian. Hmm. And if memory serves, he said, well, in Acts, the early church does not call itself Christian. Hmm. They get called Christian mm -hmm. by the public. So it would be inappropriate um, for us to speak of ourselves as Christian as a self-description. You talk a, a bit in there, which I thought was helpful, about... Um, the fact that though they are serious, mm -hmm. that they have avoided this danger. Or you talked about Bruce Coburn's yeah. uh, idea, uh, the the demon of self seriousness. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, they know. I don't think they would say they have defeated that. I think they would say that it is an everyday do over kind of thing, that they exist in that tension yeah. of being crushingly wealthy people who, oh, there's an Arcade Fire song um, line that I think is a direct reference to you two to a degree, sort of an affectionate prodding. But um, when Butler of Arcade Fire says, never trust a millionaire quoting the Sermon on the Mount. Huh. And um, could be that he picked that one up from Bono, even, yeah. because he... Um, yeah, I mean, Springsteen has made a recent move lately where Springsteen has said, I have never worked a day in my life, uh -huh. <laughs> and I have made a living um, singing about things that I have. The working man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes. but he, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm quoting yeah. a paraphrasing, but he says, I, I have no experience yeah. of that which I make my living singing about. Yeah. And I think that the guys in U2 who've been upwardly mobile since they were teenagers, yeah. um, they really try to think these things through and try to figure out what a a more righteous than not brand corporation will look like. Yeah. Well, and then let me tie that to a couple of things that, that you talk about. One is this idea that you already alluded to of being kind of like a moral cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Um, or a pep band. That's right. You know? Yeah. And so that, I mean, a cynical way of construing what you 2 is doing is that, that they, that, you know, moral concern is their product. Yeah. But I think 
there's an entirely appropriate way of saying this is what I do. I am not Martin Luther King. Yeah. I'm I'm not Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. I'm not Desmond Tutu, mm-hmm. but I'm somebody who knows about those people yes. and can bring those people. That's right. Yeah. To those who wouldn't listen to Desmond Tutu but will listen but are watching MTV. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, no. And I think similarly with this with Springsteen that it seems like there's a kind of appropriate stewardship of mm-hmm. one's place and the voice one has been given. Yes. Um I don't know that even maybe and I realize too that I'm kind of I don't know spiritualizing or being sort of uh pastor to you mm. two or Springsteen in a way that they wouldn't ask me to but mm. you know that there's a um that it would there's a way in which it seems like they might be more faithful to their calling by yeah. being the millionaire pop star or rock star who speaks of these things. Yes. Rather than abandoning that platform. That's right. And saying, actually, no, I'm going to go, you know, yeah, I'm going to go work at, on the on the assembly line at Ford. That's right. Especially if their platform is employing people. I imagine with both, I feel like somebody told me recently that Taylor Swift maybe has a hundred people whose full-time job is mm. taylor swift yeah like working on that brand um figuring it all out and yeah. so of course you two like springsteen are um in addition to being i guess there's four guys that you two springsteen's by his loan somebody's got the east street band they are all um they are each platforms that include a lot of people whose names we don't know crew mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing and I imagine that part of their overhead is being faithful to that operation um, in a way that proves sustaining and lucrative and uh, fair to all of the folks who are part of their act. Yeah. But to uh, return to what I think your point is, they <laughs> are a megaphone um, to the anonymous people of God. Um, I think I call them comedy people in the um, – article who um needs someone to amplify the good work to be done yeah um nelson mandela is a bit i mean i i would like to think that he would have gotten to me eventually apart from you two but part of the job of famous people is to boost the signal of unfamous people who could do with some support exposure their story being told i think it was The musician Julian Baker, who recently said that the most punk rock thing to do is also the most New Testament thing to do, which is to share the microphone with mm. other people. Mm. And um, I think they've done that for, I think, guess we're thinking 40 years at this point. Wow. U2 has been doing this work. The other connection that occurred to me is the the theme that you return to throughout your article that there is no them. Yeah. One idea that you sometimes encounter, Mm -hmm. um, I think particularly in academia Mm -hmm. is that only people from constituency X get to talk about or speak for constituency X. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I talk about this in one of the courses I teach, um, we talk about rock and roll and we mm-hmm. talk about the blues and yeah. can a white man play the blues? Mm. Um, can a rich man express concern mm-hmm. for 
those who are impoverished. Mm-hmm. And there's there's something right about that objection, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's something right about saying, no, don't you don't speak for me. Yes. I, I get to speak for myself. Yes. But it occurs to me that there's also potentially something wrong about that objection if it if what it amounts to is only monologues are possible yeah in our society yeah that that's a very helpful uh question to be put to the there is no them principle um a phrase that has been helpful to me in the last year is slow the tape that there's the responsive mind and the reactive mind and the reactive mind is not interested in slowing the tape. The reactive mind is easily offended, is fastidious, we might say, mm. is can be a little prickly. Mm. And um, the reactive mind often only speaks in conversation stoppers and is quick to shut things down. Um, Claudia Rankin, I believe, um, the poet, has said that it's impossible to have a realization while feeling shut down, Hmm. while feeling stupid. And um, those who are, for decades, centuries maybe, have been quick to think that they are able to speak for everyone else, um, entitled people privileged people, we could say, um, can have a hard time being told, get being introduced to a phrase like cultural appropriation. And uh, maybe something similar to what you alluded to before, as the, you t- is you two really um, um, on the side of these concerns, or is their alleged concern part of their product? Hmm. Like, look at me worrying over these issues mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, when we slow the tape, um, it it need not be a monologue. It can be a back and forth. It can be uh, how does that strike you? Um, it can be the possibility of cultures and classes and different experiences of humanity um, speaking to one another. And um, there is no them. Um, positively construed, I think, is about resisting the impulse to demonize. Um, I like to say that we demonize when we don't know what to do with our despair. And um, there is no them is a challenge to the suggestion that someone who is other or someone whose name I find it hard to spell or pronounce um, is a threat to me. When I feel threatened, I other, and I think in terms of um, my people and their people, and I'm tempted to view, you know, just to bring recent news cycle in, a caravan of asylum seekers at the border as an invasion or as a threat on my way of life. But of course, the other end of it, whether it's an indigenous person or you know, I'm a white man talking, and can I quote women? Can I quote um, black people and make them a part of my self-understanding? I have to do it with due reverence and with due acknowledgement of my own place 
And I, oh gosh, and of course you too, the whole rattle and hum thing is B.B. King and Elvis Presley mm-hmm. and a black gospel choir, Sigig, yeah. still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah. And it feels like with that film and that recording and a lot of what Peter Gabriel and Paul Simon, what they've all done, yeah. if you only want Lady Smith, Black Mombazo playing with you on stage so long as they don't challenge white supremacy in South Africa, that of course it's kind of back to this microphone right. question. Like, and my but my belief with you too is that generally speaking, they have successfully borne witness to the witness of whoever it is they're imaginatively bringing into their their act. But it is fraught with the dangers of just using someone's suffering to have a brand that you can associate. With solidarity. I'll quickly mention Ralph Ellison, author of The Invisible Man, yeah. once said, We're stuck with our relatives, but we get to choose our ancestors. Mm-hmm. And that was Ellison saying, No, I can have Faulkner and Dostoevsky alongside writers of color. I don't mm-hmm. have to stick with my alleged own community. Mm-hmm. We're all hybrid in one way or another. And um, we get to have a kind of pantheon of elders that isn't limited to our own background. But of course we do have to um yeah, acknowledge our own context lest we um just be using those sources. If you were to turn this article into a sermon hmm. or if you were to turn it into a Bible study, what might be kind of the I don't know, the textual center or what might be the theological center of that sermon or that Bible study. I sometimes, believe it or not, when I write academic journal articles or Mm -hmm. um, chapters for academic books, think about if somebody asked me to come and preach this, Mm. (laughs) you know, what would that look like? Um, I'd like there to be some kind of lived connection between Mm -hmm the work that I do as an academic and this kind of sense of uh, the proclamation of the church mm-hmm. and, you know. Well, the first one that comes to mind <clears throat> is for the there is no them is in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male mm. nor female. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think rich or poor is in there. But it's a verse. Although there's some some of that it would would be implicit, right? In, in slave, in nor slave free. or free. That's or, right. Or even yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, that Greek. we're all human beings, um, and the invitation to life in Christ is to let the deep realization of, in Blake's phrase, the human form divine, overcome those dualisms, those uh, ways of classifying people. And I suppose the article is trying to invite people to do that. I mean, it's a weird one. There's so many causes that are worth arguing for. Why try to make an argument for being less annoyed by a millionaire pop uh-huh. band? Yeah. But one reason I think that argument is worth making is because that band, um, as sort of a collective of I do think of their work as kind of a mass media poetry. Um, They're calling us to that insight of the scripture and the mantra, there is no them. Um, 
in all of our relationships, whether we're thinking about incarcerated people or undocumented people or um, enemy combatants or Republicans or Democrats. You get to put yeah. that down in a, uh, I guess another one would be the uh, a passage I associate with Will Campbell, the Second Corinthians 5, um, be reconciled and be ambassadors for God's reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So both of those passages call us to not judge other people according to the world's standards, but yeah. to let every interaction with any human being be a deep reconsideration of the possibilities mm-hmm. that exist between us. Yeah. And I think really all of U2's music, both personal, political, private, it it is calling us yeah. to that. And weirdly, too, I think of... Um, Zacchaeus, um, Jesus inviting himself to Zacchaeus' home, Hmm. and Zacchaeus saying, I'm going to make it right. Hmm. I'm going to give back, um, I don't know, double, four times. I'm going to pay back everyone I've ripped off. I'm going to give them more. All of those ways in which I have exploited people. I'm going to undo that exploitation to which Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this oikos, this household. And that very um, full body, um, undivided life view of salvation, um, I think is something that you too, I, I think they are trying to make of their lives and their resources a gift to the community around them. Even down to, this is a weird one, but if you know, I almost hesitate to say it, knowing this is going to be on the internet, general admission tickets to their shows mean that you are on the floor. Hmm. And if you buy them soon, you are closer to the stage than anyone else. So this kind of unpublicized thing, if there's a just way of doing a stadium show, that would make that would be making the cheapest seats the best seats Mm -hmm. in the house. And they do sell out. Yeah. But if you know that, um, general admission means that you are closer to the stage than anyone else. And so I think that that sort of kingdom reversal of um, God's righteousness is something that they try to uh, sort of parse out in the minute particulars of what they do. Yeah. I like all that very much, and I don't disagree with you at all. But let me ask too. Then, isn't in terms of the so you've you've cited the in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, mm. and there is no them. Isn't there also well, there is also yeah. a strongly dualistic strand, mm. not only in the New Test, not only in Paul's letters, yeah, where Paul talks about you once were in the kingdom of darkness yeah. and now you've been brought into the kingdom of light. Yes. And what fellowship has Christ with Belial? Yes. And Jesus, those who are not with us are against us. And mm-hmm. even separating the sheep and the goats, there is um, alongside that, yeah. all are included a very strong black and whiteness mm-hmm. to a lot of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts about how we hold those together, or well, or maybe they're just talking on two different planes or addressing two different kinds of issues? No, I no, I think it's applicable. Where's the we played for you, but you would not dance? Yeah, um, 
I don't know the reference. Okay, I don't but, either. I associate it with Jesus maybe talking about John the Baptist or something. Yeah, that's right. Well, they um, that the Son of Man came yes. eating and drinking. You said he was a glutton. Yes. So I would um, draw that line between people who love you too and don't. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm and I think of that's kidding. and I think that's right. Yeah. Well, no, I'm uh, I, I I'm kidding, and I'm also suggesting kind of seriously that there is a doesn't mean everybody has to love you too to be saved but there is a hardness of heart um that we bring to our consumption of um music people trying to be honest with us that kind of thing mm. i do think too bono in his uh plea to the bush administration um to do right by africa in the aids crisis yeah he made his way into, I mean, he, I don't know who else did this, but he did open the Bible um, with President Bush, and I think he came at him with a hard sell of, um, God, you're going to want to be on God's side um, on this issue. Hmm. And God, I mean, I, it'd be good if I could find the quote, but I remember in those days when he was doing almost like a press junket like a tour of appearing on the o'reilly show anyone who would take him he would use his currency of celebrity to say i believe he used the language of everyday holocaust to describe um people who were being lost to stupid poverty preventable death um infrastructure issues which he was very quick to say is something that God will judge. And um, so I would say that that, um, the ethical heft of you are with us or against us, you you show your love for God by love and advocacy for the vulnerable, or that love of God is largely in your head, theoretical, an idol even one last question that i wanted to ask about but it's from the very beginning i was really interested in the epigraph you have at the the head of the article from aquinas this classic definition of beauty right that beauty is integritas harmonia and claritas or you have a translation from james joyce james joyce which is uh, wholeness, harmony, and radiance, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you don't return to that explicitly in the article. So yeah. why, why did you begin with that quotation from Aquinas, and how do, how is it connected with what yes. you have to say about you too? Yes, um, I was writing for a Jesuit magazine, so I think I was throwing it in there for <laughs> that. Um, but it I, it was just there in my notes, um, and they're Irish. And I guess I mentioned this in the article. Did I mention that um, when I saw them in Louisville, it was Bloomsday? Yeah. Okay. Um, I do think of Joyce as often calling us to a deeper – I mean, he can be – he is often spoken of as someone who had a uh, contentious relationship with the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he – Famously in Ulysses, his character um, Stephen says, history is a nightmare from which I'm trying to awaken. Mm. Thinking of Irish Catholic history, empire, British empire, all that kind of thing. But running through it, it seems to me, is a deep affirmation of the human form, joy, 
all of it. And um, I think you're going to be able to help me with who said this. Who was it who said the glory of God is a human being fully alive? Uh, Irenaeus. Yes. So at the back of this YouTube piece and really just about everything is my belief um, that fullness of life is God's desire for everyone and that fullness of life beauty, all of it, um, is gospel, is good news, is, um, yeah, is the glory of God. So I suppose, I, I mean, I, I, this is a weird thing to do, um, but often when I'm trying to write something, I will find a quote and put it at the top of the page mm. and try to be true to that quote until I get to what I believe, at least for now, is the end of it. Hmm. Um, so that that quote served for me as kind of an inspiration all the way through um, to communicate what I was really trying to get at. Hmm. And we talk about Aquinas's definition of beauty um, for a couple of weeks in the the faith and beauty class um, that I teach at, at Belmont, and the um, those first two elements particularly I was thinking about in connection with your article that. Um, integritas the first condition is sometimes translated as perfection mm. but integritas is better yeah. wholeness is better because what aquinas means by perfection is kind of like um well like integrity which is connected to being integrated yeah. that what you are you are the whole way through yeah you know, so somebody with moral integrity, for instance, isn't one way on Sunday morning and That's another right. another way on Monday morning. There's no off switch to integrity, right? Yeah. Right. So, and and that, and he applies that to kind of um, the perfection of beauty yes. as well. That so that there's not like we think, why is that chord in there? You know, that that's yeah. not kind of faithful to, or that doesn't fit mm-hmm. with the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, it, it occurred to me too that in a lot of what you're saying, you know, that there is this kind of impulse in you too toward that kind of wholeness. That mm-hmm. what does it mean to for this vision of goodness and life to sink all the way through? Yeah, you know, not this. It's not just in our lyrics, yeah, but in the the way that we go about being who we are. That's right. Well, witness is the word for me on that mm. because witness is always undivided. Yeah. Witness knows no division. Yeah. It's the whole – like I like to say that spirit knows no division. Yeah. And we have very solid reasons sometimes for saying that's politics, that's religion, that's business. Mm-hmm. But the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Yeah. And those divisions, if I'm being <laughs> – if I'm trying to – kind of get a rise out of somebody i want to say those spirit those divisions are demonic yeah are um are deadly mm-hmm. even but with humor wit, beauty we get disarmed there's yeah. nothing quite so disarming as beauty yeah and um i like to say i'm in it for beauty mm-hmm. when people wonder why i'm so hung up on letting economy politics religion entertainment be um, fused, ab- conjoined abstractions rather than definitive divisions. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the quote again. The second condition is is harmony or proportion. 
which is, I mean, there's a huge tradition there stretching back through Christianity, through Boethius mm. and Augustine, then back to Pythagoras. But the idea that beauty has to do with the with pro, with right relationship. Yeah, yeah. And um, Augustine wrote a treatise on music, De Musica, um, where he talks about music is the art of maintaining right measure or right relationship oh, between. That's great. Yeah. And then he talks about that. You know, he talks about that like in terms of rhythmic meter. Mm-hmm. You know, so. The difference between an anapest and a diam, or a, you know, these different mm-hmm. um, poetic feet, yeah, you know, is the the relationship between the beats, you know, and so, yeah. and you know that this beat doesn't fit if the proportions within it aren't right. Mm-hmm. But then he goes on to say. Um, and yet proportion extends even further, for if someone were to sing a merry tune at a funeral, mm. they would not be maintaining right measure. Oh, that's good. You see, so that... Yeah. That, that, uh, What's fitting. It, yeah. What's appropriate. It, that's exactly right. Thinking that beauty is always a matter of um, right relationship to what is around it. Yeah. And that that's how beauty is appropriately determined. And Aquinas picks that up, too, when he's talking about harmony. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't just mean... Harmony, like you know, yeah. But but harmony in terms of is this rightly related to all of its internal components, and is it rightly related to where it's set? Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of its its presentation. Yeah. Um, and so that that's an interesting mm-hmm. thought too. That can you know whether, um, you know whether a musical act. Mm-hmm. Whether their work can be characterized as beautiful if it isn't rightly related, not only in terms of its internal musical materials, but socially, mm-hmm. culturally, yeah. ethically, economically—that all of those are a part of of a full definition yeah. of beauty. Yeah, I believe that's their whole gig. Mm-hmm. I think they would be nodding approvingly with mm-hmm. all of this. Yeah, um, music of the spheres. Yeah, what is that? As you were. Yeah. Doing a little bit of a trajectory there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask because I don't know mm. where does the phrase "music of the spheres" fit in that? Do you know? So yeah, Pythagoras. Okay. Um, via Aristotle, so Pythagoras um, comes to this realization that musical h- harmonies mm. correspond to mathematical ratios. Okay. So that if you um, bisect a vibrating string mm-hmm. the relationship of one to two mm-hmm. also corresponds to the relationship of a musical octave you know okay. so, uh, mm-hmm. um, and so that's fascinating to him that there is a relationship between things that sound good to our ears and things that work out mathematically mm-hmm. And he comes up with this idea that the whole universe is this kind of tuned instrument mm-hmm. and that all things, oh, and there's a beautiful quote about this in the opening canto of Dante's um, Paradiso, mm-hmm. where he talks about all things are what they are by maintaining their place mm-hmm. within this universal symphony. Yeah. Um, so the idea is that each of us internally yeah. is made up of these relations and the external universe 
is all these ex- is all these relations and that the planets as they turn in the heavens are rightly ordered in relation to each other so that they make this music yeah. as they spin um that's great and that beauty is a matter of being in the right place you know so being um, true to your context maybe yeah and being you know dante says each thing by being what it is um fulfills its part in this cosmic harmony or what uh, augustine calls the carmen Universitatis, the song of the universe okay aristotle says the reason that we can't hear this music of the spheres Mm. or he quotes a a story Mm -hmm. um, that says the reason that we can't hear this music of the spheres is because we've been hearing it since we were born so we just we just tune it out well i think of a couple things i think of king martin luther king jr saying when i have my coffee my newspaper my eggs my orange juice i am partaking of the labor of hundreds of people Mm. who are there with me Mm. just when I'm having breakfast. And he says, from the moment I wake up, I am in an inescapable network of mutuality. Hmm. So the question of how to be true to that and to not be, um, you know, to to work my way into more righteous orderings, Mm -hmm. right relationship in my products, my liturgies, all of that Mm -hmm. is the work to be done with awareness. And um, it's the work of awareness. I think, too, fairly late in my life, the passage in the Sermon on the Mount of be perfect, getting back to the integrated thing, to be perfect. You always have to keep bringing it back to Jesus, don't you? (laughs) To be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, can also be translated love indiscriminately. Mm -hmm. As your heavenly Father loves indiscriminately, Mm -hmm. sending the rain and the sun Mm -hmm. on the righteous, in quotes, Mm -hmm. and the unrighteous, in quotes, alike. Mm -hmm. So I think of that, who's unrighteous, who's who's righteous, who's unrighteous, who's clean, who's unclean, maybe brings it back to the there is no them, Mm -hmm. because God does not withhold natural resources from people based on ideology ethnicity or where they happen to be born yeah kind of that accident of birth question and i do think that you too um as much as anyone has helped me to think through oh goodness this is a line in a song Hmm. he says where you live where you were born where you live shouldn't decide whether you live or whether you die Hmm. just the the medicine we have the technology we have can be a common good if there's a popular will um, to not let the market condemn people to death. I introduced this episode by talking a bit about the Holy Spirit as the one who is the ultimate instance of there is no them. I'm going to read a section as well from Karl Barth's Dogmatics in Outline. This is chapter 21, in which he talks about the Holy Spirit. And this is beginning on page 138. The Holy Spirit is nothing else than a certain relation of the Word to man. In the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there is a movement, pneuma means wind, from Christ to man. He breathed on them, received the Holy Ghost, 
Christians are those breathed upon by Christ. Therefore, we can never in one respect speak soberly enough of the Holy Spirit. What is involved is the participation of man in the word and work of Christ. But this simple thing is at the same time something supremely inconceivable, for this participation of man means active participation. Let us also ponder what this means in its true depth, to be brought actively into the great hope of Jesus Christ, which holds for all men, is truly not a matter of course. It is the answer to a question which is put to us afresh every morning. It involves the message of the Christian church, and by my listening to this message, it becomes my own task. This message is passed on to me, too, as a Christian. I, too, have become the bearer of it, but thereby I am put into the position of having on my part to regard men, all men, quite differently from before. I can now no longer do otherwise than hope the best for all. To have inner ears for the word of Christ, to become thankful for his work and at the same time responsible for the message about him, and lastly, to take confidence in men for Christ's sake. That is the freedom which we obtain when Christ breathes on us, when he sends us his Holy Spirit. If he no longer lives in a historical or heavenly, a theological or ecclesiastical remoteness from me, if he approaches me and takes possession of me, the result will be that I hear, that I am thankful and responsible, and that finally I may hope for myself and for all others. In other words, that I may live in a Christian way. The Artist's Creed is hosted by the Rabbit Room Podcast Network in cooperation with the College of Theology and Christian Ministry at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. Belmont University is a student-centered Christian community providing an academically challenging education that empowers men and women of diverse backgrounds to engage and transform the world with disciplined intelligence, compassion, courage, and faith. Belmont offers dozens of engaging and innovative programs, including a major in religion and the arts. Find out more at belmont.edu slash theology. Significant support, including generous access to recording facilities, has also been provided by Lipscomb University. Learn more at lipscomb.edu. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, the 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.